Some of you in this room are not old enough to remember when this event that I'm about to describe actually happened. Uh, but in night, that tells you how old I'm getting. <laughs> but in 1994, there was a horrific event that happened in the country of Rwanda, which has come to be known as the Rwandan Genocide. Maybe, maybe you've heard of it. Over a three or four month period, uh, two tribal factions, one backed by the government, uh, this, this tribal faction called the Hutus rose up and began uh, committing genocide against the Tutsis. And in that three or four month period, nearly 800,000 people died in a three or four month period. It was a really horrific, horrific thing uh, when it happened. But that was almost more than, well, it was more than 20 years ago. And two years ago, the New York Times Magazine did a pictorial spread of a reconciliation process that had been going on in Rwanda since then. And there were various organizations, most of whom were religious, some of which were Anglican, who went into Rwanda and they began working for reconciliation between uh, those who perpetrated these horrific acts and their victims. And the New York Times photographer had gone in and began taking photos of these individuals, both perpetrators and victims, together and interviewing them and hearing what they had to say. One of the perpetrators, when asked about his crime, said this, I participated in destroying her house because we took the owner for dead. The houses that remained without owners, we thought it was better to destroy them in order to get firewood. Her forgiveness proved to me that she is a person with a pure heart. You see, part of these reconciliation programs, that they, when they worked with the perpetrators of these horrible crimes, they convinced them, uh, many of whom had to complete their jail terms, that they should go to their victims and repent and ask for forgiveness in person and tell their victims exactly what it was that they did and exactly what it was that they needed to be forgiven for. This particular victim responds to her perpetrator and says this, If I am not stubborn, life moves forward. When someone comes close to you without hatred, although horrible things happened, you welcome him and grant what he is looking for from you. Forgiveness equals mercy. Tonight we look at the uh, letter to Philemon from the Apostle Paul. It's a, a letter about reconciliation. It's a letter about what happens when transcendence meets estrangement. What happens when transcendence meets estrangement? It's written by Paul probably somewhere around 60 AD. He's an old man at this point. He's probably in Rome where he has met a young runaway slave named Onesimus. Onesimus is from Colossae. His owner is a man named Philemon, also from Colossae. And it happens that Paul knows Philemon because Philemon is a Christian. And Onesimus, when he's come to Paul, has also been led to Christ. And now Paul has decided that there needs to be real, true Christian reconciliation happening. And so he sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter. A letter of recommendation. The funny thing about this little letter, if you read it, it's different from all the other letters of Paul. There are no theological statements in this letter. There are no propositions that he's trying to prove, no theology that he's trying to defend, no heresy that he's speaking against. 
This is just a letter from one Christian to another. But theology is all through it. It's, it's theology on the ground. What does it look like when we take the things that we say we believe and we actually play them out in real life? That is what Philemon is all about. What happens when transcendence meets estrangement? The first thing we see is that even though none of us here, I hope, have experienced anything like a Rwandan genocide, every day we are being asked to put aside bitterness, to ask for pardon when we need it, and to offer forgiveness when it's asked for. And that is not easy. It's actually very difficult. And we realize when we look at an example like this Rwandan genocide that sometimes it becomes very, very clear that you are not going to be able to forgive or to repent and that you need something transcendent to invade your life. You need something miraculous. Maybe it's a relationship you have with an employer or an employee or a spouse or a child or a friend or a pastor or a teacher. Uh, maybe it's something entirely different, but you've come to a place where you realize the situation is fairly broken and you need something transcendent, something that is outside of you, that is above you, that can see over the entire landscape and you need it to invade your life because you actually need transcendent relationships, relationships that go beyond the norms you see, when we are baptized into Christ, we are being renewed into the new image of who Jesus Christ is. And we're being uh, shaped and formed. And being shaped and formed into that image carries with it a new way of being, a new way of living. Once we were far away from one another, but now we've been brought near. And, and the dividing wall has been knocked down and we're being made one creature, a new entity called the church. And it's supposed to operate along different, different lines. These new relationships are no longer about being an employee, an employer, about being brother and, uh, a physical brother and sister or sibling or parent or child or spouse or friend. This new relationship is a spiritual binding that Paul simply calls being a brother and a sister. And this new relationship supersedes all of the old categories. Your colleague, if they're a Christian, is not your colleague. They are primarily your brother and sister in Christ. Your employee is not your employee, if they're a Christian with you. They are primarily your brother and sister. Your employer, if they're a Christian, is not primarily your employer. They are your brother and your sister. Your children are not your children. Your Christian children they are your little brothers and sisters, and you're responsible to bring them up in the faith. Uh, these relationships are new and, and different, and they supersede the old relationships. But this is something that is really rather strange and unusual. You see, in Philemon's culture, a slave was subhuman. Uh, you know, we do like to dress up Roman slavery a little bit and make it seem as though it wasn't as bad as what we know of as American slavery. And it's true to some extent. It was, it was different. It wasn't as brutal. But that doesn't mean it wasn't brutal. Uh, it, you know, a slave could, could easily be, uh, have to wear a metal band 
that says, if they ever escape from their master, I'm a runaway slave and I belong to with the name on it like a dog tag. A slave could be branded. A slave could be beaten. Uh, A lot of things could happen to a slave. Slaves were seen as subhuman. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon and he says, that old relationship of slave doesn't count anymore. Doesn't count anymore. He's now your brother. And that relationship is more important than what the world says. You see, these heavenly and godly relationships turn everything on its head. Forgiveness was not common in Philemon's world. Philemon did not have to forgive Onesimus of anything. He didn't have to. He wasn't bound by any sort of law. He was well within his rights to torture, punish, or kill, or sell Onesimus. He wasn't bound by by any law that says he has to accept him back. But Paul says to him, I want you to accept him back. I want you to take him back into the fold. And these new relationships that we have with our fellow Christians, though there are certainly uh, consequences of this thinking that spills out into all of our relationships, but when we're talking about fellow Christians, the idea that they are our brother or our sister uh, is the new norming norm and should dictate how we interact with them in every situation. These transcendent relationships, they're expressions of the gospel in our lives. They're expressions of grace. They're expressions of what happens when all the old fears and barriers get torn down and we now simply sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, at the foot of the cross, knowing that we're both forgiven by the same gracious Lord. The old barriers come down and these transcendent relationships make things possible that were never possible before. And Paul is leaning into this idea and he's telling Philemon, you now have one of these transcendent relationships and it's going to require you to act a little differently. But it's not just about the relationship, it's about a sort of transcendent freedom. Uh, When transcendence meets estrangement, the courses of the world and of relationships are redirected and new paths are struck. When transcendence meets estrangement, the course of the world is changed. There's a really big theological question that people come to when they come to the book of Philemon. And they say, you know, why doesn't Paul just tell Philemon to let Onesimus go free? And you know, they're right. He does not in this book say, you must free Onesimus. But Paul understands one thing. That when we as Christian people are living by the new norming norm, the new idea that these are my brothers and my sisters, that that idea turns the world on its head. Paul says in several very familiar passages, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. 1 Corinthians 12, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Galatians 3, probably the most well-known of these passages. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Colossians 3. 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And with that in the background, this theology in the background, Paul then comes to Philemon and he says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He comes back to Philemon and notice what he says. He doesn't say, you can have him back, you know, as a bondservant, but, but like a special bondservant. He says, you can have him back, but no longer a bondservant. He's no longer your slave. It doesn't really, on one level, matter what Philemon does. Because they are both in Christ and they're both freed in Christ. And Philemon no longer has any right to put a claim on Onesimus. But Paul doesn't say you need to set him free. He says, take him back and accept him like a brother. And he'll be more to you. He'll be a brother in the flesh and a brother in the spirit for all of eternity. And so Paul, Paul doesn't actively seek to overturn the slave culture of the Roman Empire. But I think Paul knows full well that when Christians behave like Christians, the world gets turned upside down and the course of history starts to change. And it took us a long time to sort that one out. But I think we, look, I think we can look in Scripture and clearly see that Paul sees the brotherhood of Christians as something that can actually change the world through Jesus Christ. And so he's pushing back against this idea that one man can own another and that in Christ uh, no one has any claim on anyone else because we are all saved and purchased uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the same time that he's talking about freedom from slavery, he's also talking about freedom to be a new kind of slave. A new kind of slave that serves not from compulsion, but from love. You see, he's, he, he's, he's sending Onesimus back out of love. Go back because of the love shown to you and go repent with your former master. Show him love. And he's asking Philemon to do the same thing. He is asking free men and slaves to become slaves to one another. Servants of one another. Sometimes we, we, we read passages like this and we think that, that Paul's pushing us toward a sort of libertarian freedom, right? I can do whatever I want because now I'm free, and that is simply not true. <laughs> libertarian freedom, in the words of my favorite band, U2, is a lot like New York. In New York, freedom looks like too many choices. <laughs> having too many choices is just as devastating as having none. And what Paul is saying is that you're still a slave. We're all going to be slaves to something. But you can be a slave to Jesus Christ who serves in love and not because you have to. And that, that will change the world. And that will change relationships. And that will change how you interact with your employer and your employees, your spouses, your children, your friends. That will change how you, how you live. Romans 13, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, uh, for the commandments say, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. 
Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. And so he's changing us. Christ is changing us from people who act out of compulsion to a people who act out of love, love for God and love for neighbor. And it makes us different. So Paul wants Onesimus to act out of love for Philemon, and he wants Philemon to act out of love for Onesimus. And that sounds so easy. (laughs) It sounds so easy. And of course we know that when you're talking about reconciliation, you can repent of something you've done, and the other person can refuse to forgive you. Uh, You can choose to forgive someone, even though that person who's wronged you never, ever apologizes. And so there is a certain incompleteness that could happen. But Paul is pushing us toward a sort of reconciliation that has a proper repentance and a proper forgiveness. And when those two things happen, everything gets reworked. And the world becomes new. And our relationships become transcendent. But it's risky. There's a certain transcendent risk in this, isn't there? Paul is taking a risk. Paul is writing a letter as a peacemaker. He's stepping into the middle of a situation that some people would say is really none of his business. (laughs) And he's stepping into it anyway. And it's a risk because he's putting his own credibility on the line. He's vouching for Onesimus. And by sending Onesimus back, he's also vouching for Philemon. He says, I believe that these two men are good, godly Christian men, and they're going to do the right thing, and I'm vouching for both of them. Now go work it out. When I worked for Granger Industrial Supply, I I was in seminary, and I worked at this job, and it was was a decent job. And uh, one of my seminary classmates needed a job, and we were hiring, so I vouched for him to my boss. I said, you need to hire this guy. I think he's a good guy. I think he'll be fine. He came to work, and on the fourth day, he left for lunch and never came back. My boss never asked my opinion about hiring again. I kind of missed that one by a wide margin. Paul's putting his own word on the line here. He's vouching for both of these. He's vouching for the character of both of these men. And it could backfire on him. And he could end up looking rather dumb or worse. But it's not just a risk to Paul. It's not just a risk to the peacemaker. Uh, Onesimus is being asked to take a risk. Onesimus can go back to Philemon, he can repent, and Philemon can choose to punish him in any number of ways. He could have him executed. He could have him beaten. He could sell him to recover the money. We read in there that it's possible that Onesimus stole from him. He could sell him to recover the money, and he could sell him to the Roman galleys, the warships, not the kitchens. (laughs) He could sell him to the the Roman warships, the navy. An oarsman in the Roman navy lived typically less than a year. He could sell him to the mines as a slave. Miners lived less than three months. He could have gotten his money back and given Onesimus a death sentence at the same time. And it would have been perfectly within his rights to do so. And Paul knows this. And he's asking Onesimus to take a risk. To go and repent. And not just say like, oh, I'm sorry this happened. <laughs> I'm sorry this happened is normally what someone says when they don't really want to own responsibility for it. It's like this thing happened that I had nothing to do with, but I'm sorry it happened. No, no, no. He wants Onesimus to go back and own it. I was your slave by right, and I ran away, and I cost you money and potentially harm, and I was wrong. 
but now I'm a Christian and I want to repent of it. Like this is a real repentance. It's a, it's a digging up of, of the dark stuff. And that repentance, that repentance can bring real peace. Some more of these stories from Rwanda. There was uh, one of the perpetrators, a man named Francois. He says this, Because of the genocide perpetrated in 1994, I participated in the killing of the son of this woman. We are now members of the same group of unity and reconciliation. We share in everything. If she needs some water to drink, I fetch some for her. There is no suspicion between us, whether under sunlight or during the night. I used to have nightmares recalling the sad events I have been through, but now I can sleep peacefully. And when we are together, we are like brother and sister. No suspicion between us. His, his victim, a, a lady named Epiphany, he killed my child. Then he came to ask me pardon. I immediately granted it to him because he did not do it by himself. He was haunted by the devil. I was pleased by the way he testified to the crime instead of keeping it hidden, because it hurts if someone keeps hiding a crime he committed against you. Before, when I had not yet granted him pardon, he could not come close to me. I treated him like my enemy. But now, I would rather treat him like my own child. That's what transcendence can do when it meets estrangement. It can take a murderer... And they can give him a relationship with the mother of the man he killed. It can bring peace that calms the mind. Instead of being haunted by the things we've done and we've hidden and we never let it come to the surface and it eats away at us year after year. Repentance can bring peace. But Onesimus isn't the only one being asked to take a risk. Philemon's being asked to take a risk too. Philemon is a wealthy businessman. It can hurt his bottom line to take Onesimus back. What are the other slaves going to say? This guy runs away, he steals from you, he goes to Rome, he comes back and nothing happens? What if the rest of the slaves decide to do the same thing? We have to make an example out of him if we're going to keep you know, the economy of this household together. It's a risk for Onesimus. He's being asked to risk his livelihood. What about the other businessmen in Colossae? They all own slaves. What are they going to say when one of their own starts to do something to upset the apple cart? What are the other slaves going to say? See, I think Paul knows something. I think Paul knows that when Christians act like Christians, the apple cart gets upset. When Christians act like Christians, the norms that we're used to living in, the society that we're used to living in, starts to get turned upside down. And Paul isn't doing it by being prophetic against slavery. He's turning it upside down by simply telling Christians to go be good Christians. And so Philemon's being asked to take a huge risk that could ultimately cost him everything. But there's something about forgiveness. Like repentance bringing peace, forgiveness also brings rest. One of the perpetrators whose name I will never be able to pronounce, <laughs> he says, I ask him, this is one man speaking of another man that he'd wronged, I ask him for forgiveness because his brother was killed in my presence. He asked me why I pleaded guilty and I replied that I did it as someone who witnessed this crime but who was unable to save anybody. It was the order from authorities. I let him know who the killers were. And the killers also asked him for pardon. 
And his victim says, sometimes justice does not give someone a satisfactory answer. Cases are subject to corruption. But when it comes to forgiveness willingly granted, one is satisfied once and for all. When someone is full of anger, he can lose his mind. But when I granted forgiveness, I felt my mind at rest. Forgiveness can bring you peace. Forgiveness can give you rest. And so there is a constant risk to Paul, the peacemaker, to Onesimus, the sinner who needs to repent, and Philemon, the one who needs for his own sake to forgive. There's a risk in all of it. We don't know what Philemon did, but we do know what Jesus Christ did. Do you see Jesus in this, in this story? I see Jesus all through this story. He sacrificed himself as a peacemaker. And I don't want to say that the omniscient, omnipotent God is, is taking risks. But when Jesus Christ is standing in front of that crowd healing people and preaching, and they call him a blasphemer, and they try to kill him, and they try to stone him, and they try to seize him time after time, and every time Scripture says he slipped away because it was not his time. Every time he did it, Jesus Christ was taking a risk to preach the truth. And he did it over and over and over. And the more truth he told and the more transcendence he brought into this reality, the more people abandoned him until finally it was just his mother and one disciple at the foot of his cross. He took a big, big risk for you and for me. He repented. He, he was baptized a baptism of repentance when he had nothing to repent for. He repented for you when you could not repent for yourself. He took a risk. And that risk changed the course of human history. Set us on an entirely different path. And gives us access to a transcendence that can overcome estrangement. But it's hard, hard work. And so one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Philemon what he did. <laughs> what did you do? Because we don't know. And that's okay, because I have a feeling Philemon did the right thing. I have a feeling that he did. And even if he didn't, I can live with it, because Jesus Christ did the right thing. He took a transcendent risk for you and me, and he's, he has rewritten the rules by which we live. I pray that we can be faithful and found to be true to that idea. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.